Nicole Wallace wants gulags. Who will end her nightly torment? Quote, We create the illusion that being informed is a kind of action in itself. So to wash that guilt out, to eliminate the shame and discomfort you feel over doing nothing as the world goes mad, you'll keep tuning in. End quote. Matt Taibbi, Hate, Inc. The other night on MSNBC, Nicole Wallace reached her breaking point. Something must be done, or we will all live to regret it. Charlie, I'm going to say something that uh, people say privately all the time and not on TV all very often. Something really bad is going to happen, okay? Shit's about to hit the fan in this country. Fox News had to veer away from a lunatic spewing hatred and death threats for Democratic officials in New York because of the migrant caucus. Everyone is on... uh, I don't even know the word. Everyone is, knows that we're walking into something hideous and no one will do anything. Yeah. I refuse to believe that nothing can be done. These are people getting their information in part because of the vacuum being created by people with, I, I don't even know if we call it a spine anymore. That might be an insult to spines. But there are still people out there with followings. He can go out and, and here's, here's the, what I want to ask yeah. you. When something happens, what do you want to be able to tell your kids and grandkids you did? You good with nothing? You're good with, I didn't do anything because I didn't think anyone would listen to me. Trump tweeted something mean about me someday because you did something. I tried to do something. Where are all of the Republicans who still have little slivers of a following in the cesspool that is the MAGA base? Her face flushed, her expression resolute. What something must be done? She didn't say. Her guests couldn't come up with a final solution either. But it's worth asking Nicole herself what will finally end her nightmare. Detainment camps for the cesspool of the MAGA base? Gulags? How to dump the dissidents and non-compliant citizens far enough away that they can't touch the America they once called home? We already know the ruling classes are fine with gulags. They shot a January 6th protester point blank and that was okay. She was the wrong skin color for it to make the news. She was to be feared, all the journalists told us, by her social media posts. So why shouldn't she be shot? They dumped the January 6th prisoners in solitary, sentenced to decades of prison time because of spectral evidence, punishing them on their ideological non-compliance and allegiance to Trump and American democracy. And after all this time... After the American public has mostly complied with the destruction of our norms when it came to finding something to charge Trump with, it's still not a matter of anything Trump did, but a matter of something Trump said. Nicole Wallace, in her flush-faced rage, cited example after example of bad things Trump said on Truth Social, as if they didn't hang on every word as if their entire economy isn't built on the backs of those tweets or truths. Who are you kidding, Nicole? This is your bread and butter, girlfriend. You know it. I know it. Jack Smith and his happy warrior, Nicole Wallace, decided that their interpretation of what Trump said, if you come after me, I'm going to come after you, mattered more than Trump's own intention. That's all they've been doing for seven years, jumping to conclusions about what Trump said.
What Trump meant, in case anyone wants to know, is that if he's elected, he'll spare no one when it comes to weaponizing his own Justice Department. And why shouldn't he? Besides, even Nicole Wallace knows by now that the rhetoric from MSNBC and CNN led to real-world violence against Trump supporters. Chased, kicked, spit on, beaten, egged, and even shot, all because MSNBC had demonized them and convicted them as racists in the court of public opinion. What I believed was a peaceful assembly. I completely believed it was a peaceful assembly. I simply came here wearing a Donald Trump hat. I happened to have the whole thing recorded yeah, but that's with, fine. That's with about. 375 people watching. I was cornered. I was beat to the ground. When I attempted to run away, I was chased by the entire mob of people. I was kicked down to the ground. I was punched repeatedly. Why, I was, why, were you, why did you decide to wear Donald Trump? Sir, that's a terrible question. I'm simply a Donald J. Trump supporter who also happens to want equality. And we can't forget the casual murder of Trump supporter Aaron J. Danielson. Here's a proud American and a proud Portlander who absolutely loved this community and the people in it. Aaron J. Danielson was not a radical, he was not a racist, and he was not a fascist. He was not an insider or an instigator. He was a freedom-loving American who died expressing his beliefs, a right which is guaranteed to all of us through the Constitution. We believe that the Portland Police Bureau is going to do everything in their power to bring the person who did this to justice, and that's precisely what we want for our friend. This level of dehumanization would ordinarily be shamed and criticized by a journalist class that still had an ounce of integrity, but they couldn't say a thing after Trump actually won, lest they be accused of normalizing Hitler. Something that the president was really proud of in his campaign was that it was self-funded and that he had a lot of small... Oh, nice. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm sorry. I'm fine. Are you serious? I'm fine. Sir, I'm sorry that happened. It's not how, really, that's not how people really feel. That's fucking disrespectful. But on the other hand, that shit is disrespectful as fuck, too. So there's a difference. I respect your opinion. I didn't do that. What started out as the standard chanting and fanfare for Donald Trump That's okay. quickly turned heated Wednesday night, with nearly 20 protesters shouting, dump Trump. That's why we have freedom of speech, folks, you know. And I just suddenly, out of nowhere, felt a thud in, in the front of my head. A local news blogger who's a Trump supporter, a Costa Mesa officer, and a horse in the Huntington Beach Police Mounted Unit all were assaulted as the Donald Trump rally on Thursday night in Orange County spiraled into a raucous melee in the streets around the fairgrounds. <laughs> a Costa Mesa patrol car and a Fountain Valley unit were badly damaged by anti-Trump protesters. This incredible video posted to YouTube shows a driver spinning donuts inches from the crowd and law enforcement. No one has been caught for assaulting Mission Viejo's Cole Bartiromo. The online blogger who needed six stitches admits that he got into the middle of the chaos to document it. Someone knocked off his Trump hat, 
hurled slurs at him, and then slugged him. And I started panicking, getting scared, thinking, well, when are they going to stop? Maybe they're going to kill me. These aren't rational people. 17 people were arrested by Costa Mesa police for refusing to leave. All but two were in their teens and their 20s from L.A. and Orange counties. That's why they needed a January 6th. Trump supporters just don't do this. They don't rage as a mob. They don't smash windows or break down doors. They don't storm buildings. But they needed the image of MAGA to be violent. That day had to end that badly. Otherwise, nothing else they've done since would have gone over so easily. The media has sold a lie about that day and has remained incurious as to how any of it could have happened, even if they've officially lost count of just how many paid informants by the FBI were there that day, not to mention why it took hours to call in the National Guard, even after what their informants told them was about to take place way beforehand. No psyops needed where the left is concerned. Their violence is allowable. And if it borders on the really dangerous, it's easily covered up. Don't look over here. Look over there. How can they live with the hypocrisy of the summer of 2020 and January 6th? Well, it's easy. One was mostly peaceful and the other was a violent insurrection. So what does Nicole Wallace imagine we should do as a final solution to purge Trump and the cesspool of the MAGA base from polite society? There's really only one way out for them. Maybe they're pushing Trump and MAGA just far enough so they can finally lock them up and throw away the key. Game change. I was one of those people who fell in love with Nicole Wallace as portrayed by Sarah Paulson in Game Change. The ethical Republican fighting for John McCain alongside Woody Harrelson as Steve Schmidt was a new brand of hero for those of us on the left. Palin, the movie insisted, had ushered a new strand of hate, xenophobia, and racism that they, the good Republicans, could not abide. They hopped aboard the Team Blue Express and never looked back. We welcomed her into the fold once she threw Palin under the bus and half the country along with her. Game change was propaganda that I mistook for art. It was a character assassination written by talented people, with no other aim but to tell the beginnings of a decade of shaming, dehumanizing, and mocking the underclass, who had every right to fight for their share of the American dream. When you become disconnected from the practical realities of daily life in America, it's impossible to understand the why of Sarah Palin, the why of the Tea Party, or the why of Donald Trump. Rupert Murdoch, of all people, nailed it when he stepped down as chairman at Fox, quote, Self-serving bureaucracies are seeking to silence those who would question their provenance and purpose. Elites have open contempt for those who are not members of their rarefied class. Most of the media is in cahoots with those elites, peddling political narratives rather than pursuing the truth. End quote. It isn't that Fox isn't responsible for much of where we are today. It's that Murdoch knows what I know what MSNBC will never know, that these are not two equal sides. Those at the top and on the left have everything, and those who watch Fox News have only Fox News. Wallace's teary confession to Steve Schmidt at the end of Game Change that she couldn't vote, not for trash like Palin, not for the dangerous threat of what she ushered in, was all the mea culpa we needed on the left. Where's Virginia? 
Got it. Call you in 10. What's going on? We're gonna lose Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, I have. Steve. There's something for him to tell you. It's wrong. I didn't vote. I couldn't do it. The character smear of Sarah Palin that she was a virulent racist stuck and was then visited upon the Tea Party and from thence to Trump and MAGA. That is nothing but a bunch of tea-banging rednecks. Angry government and, uh, and, and racism. The conservative movement has now crystallized into the white power movement. Who are Ill into killing blacks and Jews and women or whatever it may be. I haven't met any racists yet, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, not in the Tea Party. Have you yourself, has anyone accused you of racism for your involvement in the Tea Party? Today, yes. I've been called a couple of bad words today. They're a cult. Nazis. Fascist. Un-American. Racist. Any opposition you have, any opposition to Obama, to, to the Democratic Party, anything right now, the way to end any argument, racist. This is racism straight up. They say racist, and the argument's over. How can that be? I mean, there is freedom of speech, but you know, that comes with a responsibility. I think this is dangerous rhetoric. They're fascist stooges who, uh, in the true sense of that word, that's not hyperbole. No. And, you know, we see these hate groups rising up, and this is definitely so part do, of do that. You no, I see a lot of anger toward the government, but I don't see any hate. The media is, has told everyone, uh, these, blind, these blind, misguided people, that the Tea Party is racist, so that, so that you know, African Americans and other, other groups and Democrats won't participate in something which would definitely help out their children. You can't deal with these people! That, that's what they want to do. They want to categorize us to where we're all, all fighting each other. I think they're threatened and they're afraid we're going to win. So they're trying, like, how can we bring it down? Oh, the worst thing you could be in this country is a racist. So let's say that. This is about hating a black man. The honest with you, the first time I heard Obama speak, I thought, there's a guy that knows what he's talking about. He speaks very, very well. But he has converted it to socialism. Take from the people who are working and give to those who aren't. You are un-American, you are anti-American, you do not love this country, and you are rooting against America. They see millions of people in this country asking the question among themselves and within their neighborhoods, are these fools in Washington going to wreck our country? And it scared them half to death. How convenient for the Obama coalition and the establishment government, now under attack by two populist movements, Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party, to slander them with charges of racism. As Vivek Ramaswamy points out in his book Woke Inc., their way of wriggling out of the mess of the $700 billion bailout was to pivot to social justice and racism specifically. And in my opinion, the answer actually begins with the 2008 financial crisis. Immediately after the 08 crisis, you'll remember, corporations were the bad guys. The old left used to say that corporate power was bad and the thing we needed to do was redistribute money from rich people to poor people to help poor people. Agree or not, that was their theory. But the new modern woke left in the post-2008 world had a different theory. They said that the real problem wasn't poverty, it wasn't economic injustice, rather it was racial injustice and misogyny and bigotry. And guess what? 
That presented a once-in-a-generation opportunity for Wall Street. They could no longer be the bad guys, but instead could actually become the good guys just by adopting these woke values. Now, remember Occupy Wall Street. That was after 2008. That was a tough pill for Wall Street to swallow. But this wokeism stuff, that was easy. Applaud diversity and inclusion, put some women on boards, create an affinity group for analysts of color, you're good to go. Just look at what Goldman Sachs did last year when its CEO declared from, of course, the mountaintops of Davos that Goldman would not take a company public in the United States unless it met Goldman Sachs' standards for board diversity, where, of course, Goldman's the sole arbiter of who counts as diverse. The banks were thrilled to dance to this new woke tune. They were happy to lend both their money and their legitimacy and their credibility to this new woke movement. But they only need one thing in return, just one ask in return. Woke left, get the new left to leave Wall Street alone. And it worked. Each side won from the trade. Big banks got to use their market power to force these woke values down our throats. And in return, the new left agrees to look the other way when it comes to leaving their market power intact. So in a nutshell, here's how it worked. Wall Street got in bed with a bunch of woke millennials. Together, they birthed woke capitalism. And of course, they put Occupy Wall Street up for adoption. You don't even know what that is anymore. That's the Wall Street edition. As it turns out, there's a really similar backroom deal playing out in the other coast, in Silicon Valley as well. And here's the way it works over there. Woke activists demand that big tech censors political views that they don't like. And in return, the left agrees to leave big tech's monopoly power intact. And again, it is working masterfully for both sides. That is how this new arranged marriage works. This is not a marriage of love. This is more like mutual prostitution, and it is working. The populist uprising was just getting started in 2008 when Wallace refused to vote for Palin and abandoned the Republicans altogether. And when you think about it, it's the perfect marriage, an establishment Republican allying with the establishment Democrats against the people rising up to challenge them all. Orwell was right again. Orwell appears to be the architect of 2023, Thought police? Check. Big Brother? Check. The inner and outer party and the proles? Check. Two plus two equals five? Check. Newspeak? Check. The Ministry of Truth? Yup. The Ministry of Love? Oh yeah. The Ministry of Peace? Double check. But the one he got really right was the character of Goldstein and the two minutes of hate. Goldstein probably didn't exist in reality, but was necessary to unite their citizens in hate, to keep them in line, and to keep them afraid. Emmanuel Goldstein is introduced as the enemy of the people during the two minutes hate at the beginning of the novel. He was once an important member of the party but became a traitor. Although he was sentenced to death, he escaped and formed the Brotherhood, an organized body of rebels committed to the destruction of the party and the party's way of life. Like Big Brother, Goldstein very likely does not exist as an actual person, but rather, is a propaganda tool used by the party to stir up emotion in the citizens. Goldstein functions as a threatening but ill-defined monster that the party uses to keep citizens in line and prevent rebellion. Like East Asia and Eurasia, Goldstein provides the party with an enemy to act against. When the party does things that hurt the populace, their actions can be blamed either on terrorist attacks by Goldstein's followers or on necessary precautions to prevent further attacks. Goldstein's most significant contribution to the plot of the novel is as alleged author of the book The Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism. 
the book contains the truth of the party as well as a model for how to overthrow them, as is quoted at length in Book 2, Chapter 9 of 1984. These sections go into detail about how the party uses endless war, the manipulation of history, and the threat of the thought police to control the population. The book also lays out a hopeful plan of rebellion whereby the tiny resistances made by disobedient party members eventually accumulate to become powerful enough to tear down the party. Winston gets a copy of Goldstein's book from O'Brien and is hugely affected by what he reads in this book. Although the content of the book seems to be largely accurate to the way the party really works, we later learn that the book was not written by Goldstein, but by O'Brien and a committee of party loyalists as another prop and trap for drawing in thought criminals. What is MSNBC's power lineup now but two minutes of hate? Sold to the people at the top, trotting out their Goldstein. Shout out his name. MSNBC Junkies. Junk is not a kick, it's a way of life. William S. Burroughs. You can spot an MSNBC junkie from a mile away. Think of Barbara Streisand snuggled up with her cloned dogs and the expanse of the Pacific Ocean sprawled out in front of her. A tweet from Barbara Streisand. Republicans in many states are limiting safe mail-in voting because the GOP is not interested in everyone voting. Democracy is not their preference. You know Larry David can't pull away. He's often seen shrieking and shouting in public places, raving about the end of the world, and that, of course, being Trump. From Variety, Larry David reportedly confronted Elon Musk at a wedding over voting Republican. Do you just want to murder kids in schools? Stephen King, who built his fortune by selling books to the very kind of people he now deems human garbage, destroyed his wonderful crime series Mr. Mercedes by turning his latest installment, Holly, into an indictment against Trump, yet another. For podcast listeners, reviews from Audible. King hates Trump. King hates COVID. This is your storyline. King hates Trump. King hates anti-vaxxers. Oh yeah, and then there is Holly. Return to sender. Stephen King is done. Stop wasting money on his left-wing preaching about his opinions. I listen to Audible to escape from life. If I want left-wing COVID fear-mongering, I'll turn on national news. Only reason I gave one star is because Audible makes you leave at least one star. And the most addicted of all, Rob Reiner. From Rob Reiner's Twitter. Not hyperbole. If Trump returns to the White House, it will be the end of American democracy. How does Nicole Wallace sleep at night? Does she tell herself that she's fighting on the right side and that Trump and his supporters have deserved every minute of the endless persecution and punishment they've received just for staying in the race, not giving up, and never backing down? Most importantly, does it worry her that she's got the story so wrong? Will journalists, fiction writers, and screenwriters ever find their way back to the truth? to tell the true story of Trump and his supporters, a scrappy underdog that took on a massive machine. 
They've sold him as Hitler himself, but Trump was never that guy. Trump is this guy, a guy who stood in the rain, even took off his hat to let the rain wreck his perfect hair. And we are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is all you get. And we are a nation that loves to be rained upon. Let's stay out here and vote. Let's stay out here, right? I'm not leaving. He shows humility and kindness to his supporters. He's funny. He talks to them. He entertains them. They love him for it. At a time when comedy has disappeared, everything is so rigid and buttoned up. Everyone is so afraid to say anything that will get them in trouble. Trump just lets his freak flag fly. More American now than anyone on the left. We are a brave nation. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant and out of control like never before, and where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. Trump's the guy who went to East Palestine and hung out with the townies, ordering fast food and giving speeches on the fly. Oh. Our the Trump real, the real president. What's your specialty today? <laughs> How are you today? Nice, nice to meet you. you. Hello, everybody. That's a nice, beautiful looking group of people. So I know this menu better than you do. Okay? I probably know it better than anybody in here. Uh, we're going to take care of the fire department. The version of Trump MSNBC has been selling does not exist. He didn't exist when Rachel Maddow's sincere collegiate tone sold him as a Russian asset. He didn't exist when Lawrence O'Donnell sold him as a dangerous fascist, or when Joy Reid sold him as an actual Nazi. And he didn't exist when Nicole Wallace demanded that something must be done or bad things will happen. They all need Trump to make money, the grifters that they are. They had to sell the more profitable version of him, the evil one, the baddie, the existential threat, the end of democracy itself, the worse-than-Stalin dictator, because people at the top are so cut off from everyday life, they actually believe that nonsense. I believed it, too. They ought to think about turning off the lights at the Two Minutes of Hate cable network. Do the country a real favor. Give us half a chance to get to know each other again. Let the people vote for whomever they choose. Don't pretend you're saving democracy by destroying democracy. Because then, something bad really will happen. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self, be true.
much I wanna do, but I ain't got much time to slow. Must be somebody up above. Say you call me up, baby girl. You gotta get back up. Got to hold on. You got to hold. 